Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungle's closing in? You crave wide-open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, Land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to Land.com, find your open space, and get out there. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hi, today we have Shane Lopez on the show. Shane is a senior scientist of Gallup and research coordinator of the Clifton Strengths Institute. His latest book is called Making Hope Happen, Create the Future You Want for Yourself and Others. Thanks, Shane, for being here. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You've, uh, you've been quite influenced on my own work and on a lot of people in, in the field of psychology. And uh, How long is your career at this point? Well, I started in positive psychology in 1999. I attended a, a summit, a positive psychology summit at Gallup uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And there I got to meet Marty Seligman and Ed Diener and Mike Chick sent me high. And I sat next to a, a wonderful man named Don Clifton who came up with the Clifton Strengths Finder. So Got to start working with him back in 99 as well. Hey, um, so the Clifton Strengths Finder is... Um is not the same thing as the character strength survey, the VIA Correct. survey. Is there overlap between the kinds of strengths that are being measured by these two things, these two tests? No, they're very different actually. The Clifton Strengths Finder measures 34 themes of talent that with, uh, with time, energy, and effort can be turned into strengths. So like my top five on the Clifton Strengths Finder are futuristic, maximizer, arranger, ideation and strategic. Uh, and all these strengths kind of are associated with success in, in different ways. So instead of measuring character and virtue, the Clifton Strengths Finder measures talent and success. I see. And and talent being something that's not purely genetic. Correct. So how did he come up with this this list? Well, it goes back about 40 years. He was uh, He was asked to measure the talent of people at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. 
they were trying to select better mentors for freshmen uh, at the university. And it seems commonplace today, Scott, but his novel approach was, well, let me talk to the best of the best. I want to talk to the best mentors and I'm going to measure the talent that they have. And then we'll look for more of that talent. In the past, what people would do was they'd, they'd basically say, you know, let me figure out who doesn't do this job well and try not to pick those things. So he just switched it up and said, I'm going to measure uh, success and, and try, to, try to select for success. And this is even this is before the field of positive psychology even existed. Yeah, this was back in the 60s, uh, 60s and 70s. And he measured talent in, in um, mentors. He measured talent in ROTC members. Uh, and then he got into the working world and started uh, measuring uh, talent and strengths in managers and, and, um, and CEOs. And eventually, he even did work with uh, the NBA and the NHL and the NFL. Wow. So when, when did you start like – I mean, right now, you're, you're, you're like what, a senior research scientist there or a research director. Um, it, I'm imagining that that meeting in 99, I imagine he didn't immediately appoint you that position. So <laughs> what, what, like, how did that develop? Yeah, well, it's it's a it's kind of a geeky story when when they published the uh, Clifton Strengths Finder uh, in '98, uh, they put it online. So it was one of the first psychological inventories to be online in a in a big way, um, and that explains why it's been administered about 11 million times uh, to date. Um, but when they published it, you know, they it just took off, uh, and lots of people were using it. Um, and every now and then somebody would ask for the, the psychometric report, the basic uh, measurements, guidelines, you know, that explain how reliable and valid the test would be. Um, and they basically didn't have time to sit down and write it. They were so busy making sure that people were discovering their strengths. So that was my first task was writing the psychometric report for the Clifton Strengths Finder. So fortunately, I did a really good job on that. And then I was able to to uh, to land other work with them, and then become part of the team. Wow! So you split your time between lots of different things. I feel like so you're partly still work with them, right? Yeah. Um, you're also. Um, do you teach? I teach a little bit online these days. I I used to be at the University of Kansas for a long time. Uh, I was a professor of education for ten years, and then a professor of business for two years. But now I mainly teach online and. And, um, you know, one-offs, one-day teaching events. So, um, I love teaching, but it's just not something I do every day now. I mean, you're going to be teaching in my class. <laughs> I know. I'm uh, next week? That. Is that next week? It's coming up. It's coming up. So, positive psychology. How's that going for you? Oh, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's actually been a tremendous experience. Uh, tremendous experience. Good. Um, you'll get a chance to meet my students next week, the, virtually. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So I'm trying to understand this whole timeline here. So then, at what point? I feel like your research and hope uh, predated your that '99 meeting. Yeah, you and I share share um, kind of part of an origin story. I started researching intelligence before I was researching hope. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was at the uh, um, one of my early jobs was at the Leavenworth VA Medical Center, and I was working with one of the top researchers on intelligence there. 
and enjoying the work. But as you know, intelligence only tells a small part of the story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Definitely left me unfulfilled. Exactly. Exactly. So I had, I had a very similar experience. So when I realized that intelligence only explained about a quarter of the variance in someone's success in life and had nothing at all to do with, with their well-being, um, I, I just got somewhat disillusioned and, and started looking for other, other kinds of work to do, mainly looking for something that would explain someone's well-being, someone's happiness. And it was through my clinical work. So I was seeing a lot of clients, a lot of patients at the VA at the time. And I had this one patient who, who came into the clinic and at the time was suicidal. And he had abandoned all hope and he was pretty committed to ending his life. And we had to do some really intensive work um, to get him to a safe place and, and make sure that he was ready to move on. And it was in that clinical work that I discovered, you know, the power of hope in, in a person's life. And then I was fortunate enough to be working with Rick Snyder in a different capacity. And Rick Snyder was the University of Kansas psychologist who really operationalized uh, hope and built this psychology of hope research body. And uh, I was able to work with him and, and start researching hope uh, in 97, 98. Wow, it's, it's what a tremendous opportunity to meet to meet the legend. Oh, absolutely, yeah, Snyder. And then I know he's he's been. Uh, would you say he's your most important mentor in your life? Oh, by far, by far. He started in investing me in me in a major way and and giving me opportunities to uh, do what I did best uh, back in the nineties. And even though he's passed away, I feel like his. He said he, he gave us a lifetime guarantee on his mentoring and it meant for our lifetimes. So I feel as though he's still mentoring me today. So wonderful. And uh, yeah, I remember his, I think it was his 1977 paper on, on abnormality as you need for uniqueness not being an indicator of abnormality. I just like blew my mind. <laughs> That's a, you have a good memory. That's one of his uh, uh, better regarded papers and, and, that work is really spread uh, in terms of influence. It's it's still really big in the marketing arena. Um, yeah, right. Advertising. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. All you know. All clothing is all about you know having people at least appear as though they're being unique when they yep. all buy the same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and now cars today, people are are trying to customize their cars in a way that sets them apart from other people. So his still work is still quite influential. Yeah. Absolutely. And he had a co-author, uh, was it Fromkins? Yep. Now, who, tell me who this person is. I've always wondered who this person is. That that person is, is kind of uh, <laughs> a, mis a mystery to me. Um, you too? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I almost was going to be embarrassed if you're like, this person's a legend. But actually, I've never heard of this. I, like, I've been wondering who this person is. No, no. And, and, and Rick was great about pulling people onto papers and okay. – and, and tapping them for you know the the contributions they could make. So you'll notice there there are lots of folks. I mean, he rarely published a paper by himself. Every now and then he did, but um, he rarely published a paper by himself. And and a lot of the folks he did publish with went on to have you know significant careers and contribute to the research. 
but there were some folks who were one-time authors. And I'm not sure if Romkins was that person, but that kind of guy. But no, I don't, I don't know who, who <laughs> Fromkins is. I'm Googling him, Howard Fromkin. If any, I feel like, you know, if any of my listeners have any information on who Howard Fromkin is, please let us know. <laughs> it's the search for Howard Fromkin. I because, can see this. It's going to be a documentary one day. I mean, he's like, he's like a co-author on one of my favorite papers of all time. And yet he's he's there's not a trace of him on the internet. It's just fascinating, isn't it? It okay. is. It is. Okay. I'll get over it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'll get over it. Um okay, so hope you got interest in hope. And the thing that I think is interesting about about the conception of hope that you got involved in is it's not a stereotypical conception of hope. Even the way that, that uh Martin Selgman talks about hope in the character strengths survey, like the way mm -hmm. hope is defined as a character strength is different than the way you define it. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Hope is about uh, three types of thinking kind of combined. Um, it's goals thinking plus pathways thinking plus agency thinking. So having that expectancy that something good will happen is kind of wrapped up into the goals thinking and then coming up with multiple ways to get from where you are today to realizing that goal that's what Rick called pathways thinking. Mm -hmm. And then having, having the, the necessary requisite um, energy and drive to get from where you are today to that goal is what he referred to as agency thinking. It's a social construct, but has a lot of cognitive components to it. And the way we have people remember it is GPA, goals thinking plus pathways thinking plus agency thinking. Why do you think he decided to go beyond the traditional conceptualization of hope. I mean, he had, to, he had to make an active decision to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. He was really influenced by uh, Carl Minniger. So I'm not sure if you remember yeah. the Minniger, Minniger Clinic, but yeah. um, Carl Minniger wrote one of the first papers on hope. I think it was 1952. He, he wrote his presidential address for the American Psychiatric Association on the topic of hope. Um, and in conversations with, with Dr. Miniger, uh, Rick Snyder thought that, uh, that it goes beyond expectancy, that, that there are other components. So, so if hope was to be really active in a person's life, um, you had to have that, that, that energy and drive combined with some routes to get from where you are to where you want to be. Um, so he thought that, um, that his conceptualization was was more robust and potent. I see, I see, and it's so interesting because, like, I I feel like even today, like people use hope differently, and in, in you know there isn't like a, a consensus in the literature. There's like you know there's like your and his conceptualization of hope, and then I see I, I see studies like in the positive psychology literature on like the link between cardiovascular disease, for instance, and mm -hmm. they I, I see optimism. Hope is used as a synonym for optimism. Have you noticed that too? Yeah, yeah. That must and drive you crazy. You must head must explode when you see that. It does. It does. <laughs> if I was Shane Lopez, my head would explode if I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it does. And, and there are lots of folks who use one item measures of hope. Yeah, exactly. And and that confuses the 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 science as well. So yeah. um you know, it would be nice if we all agreed on on one conceptualization um, um, of hope, but uh, 
you know, we let a thousand flowers bloom in, in positive psychology. And, and I think it, it enriches our, you know, deepens our understanding of, of, of what, what all positive expectations are, whether it's hope or optimism. Um, but we do need to clean it up so that, you know, the, the folks outside our field can understand it better. Absolutely. So tell me, uh, and, and my listeners, why does hope matter? Wow. You know, we, we're at the point where we can tell you pretty definitively why hope matters. And, yeah, and just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> hope, You've hope, given uh, TED Talks on this, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Hope accounts for a, a letter grade in school. So okay. um, if you're thinking about why hope matters to, uh, let's say, a young person or a college student, um, how hopeful you are determines how well you'll do in school. So it accounts for a full letter grade um, of academic success. Wow. It accounts for a day's worth of productivity out of a, a one-week, uh, uh, seven-day work week. So it certainly accounts for a whole bunch of, of uh, um, uh, projects getting done and, and burgers getting made and, and, and uh, quarterly um, goals being met. Uh, and also it, it accounts for a 10% boost in well-being. Mm. So whether you're talking about success uh, in schools, talking about success at work, or talking about happiness in life, uh, hope is a really good indicator of how well you'll be doing. That sounds great, and it's, it's particularly it's the kind of hope that you're talking about, where there's uh, these these the will, the will, and the ways to get there. The will and the ways, right? So that's that's agency and pathways, correct? Is the will part? Is that the same thing as like grit, as what Angela Duckworth is studying? It's very close. It, it has significant overlap with grit and, and it, it has a perseverance element to it. Um, and it, it overlaps with all agenic thought. So it overlaps with self-determination. Um, it overlaps with, with grit. And, and there's a whole body of research on the agenic self. So it overlaps with that research as well. And from a, a big five personality perspective, do the different components of hope differentially correlate with different uh, personality traits? You know, not systematically. We haven't we haven't looked at that um, to a large, you know, to, to in a major way. But when we have the the hope components, don't overlap systematically with with conscientiousness and openness and the such. But the wills and the ways that it, that significantly correlates with each other. Yeah, those are related at about a 0.4 correlation, correct? So it's uh, justified to call them both the same a construct, an overarching construct, hope. Yeah, yeah, but it's a two-factor solution when yeah. we when we uh, when we uh, do the factor analysis. Right. Um, um, but yeah, they're they're hanging together in a meaningful way and 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 representing this this operationalization of hope. So why is the past not a preview? Wow, you know, we put so much reliance on on um, the uh, the past in determining how well we do today. So, if you think about um, all that work, that the past is the best predictor of the future, yeah. that's not really really the truth in in a wow. lot of situations whoa, in our whoa, life. Whoa, hold on, that's like a dramatic revising of what everyone thinks is true. Something well, like well, you, you, you tell me. So, so intelligence. So, so your intelligence in the fifth grade, let's say, is that a great predictor of how well you'll do in the work world? No. 
No, right. not at all. No, I, hey, I agree with you, brother. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm just saying, like, let's let's digest this before you go on. Let's yeah. Uh, let's like hold on because that's going to be a revolution to some people listening to this. Well, uh, I, I think I think it's become an American ideal. It I, has. You know, it's something. You know, just like uh, um, follow your passion is is the hottest career advice. That's probably yeah. the most dangerous career advice. You know that we have in America. What should you be um, doing with your passion? Well, you should be creating your passion while you're on the job. Okay. You should land a good job with great people and, and be systematic about doing so and then create passion every day like you do with, with your work, Scott. Um, create passion every day and, and, and build it and then spread it to others. But, but the past is not a preview. I mean, when we look at just the, uh, the measures that we hold up as as big predictors of success. So whether it's intelligence, high school GPA, ACT, SAT scores, um, LSAT scores, uh, those don't really tell us a whole lot about how people will do in the future. In fact, um, one of my colleagues, Kevin Rand, did a study looking at uh, LSAT scores, uh, the law school admission tests, and, and HOPE scores. Um, to determine ranking in, in law school. And Hope was a better predictor of ranking in law school than the LSAT scores. Yes, I, so, I love that finding. I've, I've cited, oh, that in, I cited that in Ungifted. Well, in all these, you know, all these industries are, are built up, you know, basically around the notion that, that the past is the best predictor of the future. And, and what we have to realize is the past is, is a predictor of the future. There, there's some knowledge to be gained from um, someone's past and, and past strivings and past uh, successes and past uh, demonstrated abilities, but uh, there's so much more that we need to know. And, and the future pulls us forward in a way that, uh, that we need to understand a whole lot better. I love that. So uh, what are the implications there for our conceptualization of potential? Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's wide open. I, when we measure things like hope and, and even someone's strengths. So imagine if you knew someone's strengths, whether it's, it's from the, the values and action survey or the Clifton strengths finder, uh, and you knew someone's hope and you knew someone's grit. Um, wouldn't that tell you a whole lot more about their potential for doing a, a job well, uh, than just knowing high school GPA and intelligence? I think so. <laughs> I've, I've, no, I don't think everyone thinks so. So well, I think that you get a lot of diehard uh, uh, IO traditional people uh, suggesting that, um, you know, they'll say, well, the reviews have shown that IQ is a better predictor than any personality trait. And if you add in personality, you get inc very slight incremental uh, additions. Now, the way you worded it is in line with that. You said, in, you, you basically said additionally. Right. Um, so you, that saves you because you said, that. <laughs> but, um, but, but what if like, you know, what if it's like, um, very, you, you, you only have a certain amount of uh, time and you have to decide or, you know, like mm. I would be as so bold as to say, I'd pick the hope and, and grit over the IQ and then, yeah. and then that would get me in trouble. Like the way you were, it was perfectly, you know, like everyone's going to agree. Yeah, I would, you know, I'm putting you on the hot seat. I, I hear you. I hear you. I would go, I would want to know someone's, and, and this is how I do. Um, I mean, I picked graduate students for years and years. And, 
and I cared a whole lot less about GRE scores um, than I did about um, their demonstrated abilities to get things done, number one, and number two, their vision of what they wanted to do in the future and how compelled they were to pursue that future in, in a hot, passionate way. Yeah. Um, so I also picked graduate students based on their strengths. Um, I needed reliable, dependable folks who were, who had a lot to offer my team. Um, so I, uh, you know, I picked a lot of graduate students, Scott, believe it or not, with, with GREs in, in verbal and quantitative under 500. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew I would have a lot of work to do with them around writing and, 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 you know, some stats work and, and things like that. But, but I also knew that they had potential uh, that was untapped and, and I was rewarded almost every single time. I can't yes. say every single time, but right. I was rewarded almost every single time. Wow, that, that's great. Thanks for telling me that. It's really great. So I think a lot of this does um, have implications for, for our education system then um, in terms of a selection to, into graduate and uh, into college admissions mm-hmm. and um, but even going back further in terms of what we reward in the classroom. So let's, let's maybe uh, let's talk about both, but let's mm-hmm. start with going back to uh, like elementary school or middle school. I mean, have you, have you done work on, uh, on interventions to see if these kinds of, if hope can be increased in the school system? We, we have absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you about a, a neat project we did um, that we haven't tested the, um, you know, the, the actual effectiveness of, but, but it's, it's one that demonstrates the kind of interventions we could do in the future. Uh, at the Omaha Children's Museum, um, we worked with a, a tech company to build something called the Fantastic Future Me. Ooh. Yeah. I like yeah. the sound of that. Oh, it was really, it's a really cool, it's a, it's an ongoing exhibit at the Children's Museum and about a quarter million kids go to this museum every year. So it gets played with quite a lot. Um, and what you do as a, as a little one, and these are typically three to eight year olds, you stand in front of the fantastic future me and you take a selfie. So the, the, the gadget takes a picture of you uh, and then you're able to crop it uh, in just the right way so that your face shows up on the screen uh, in this little oval. And then you pick from all these adornments uh, of what you want to be in your future life. So we have 30 or so different outfits of, of different professionals and, and craftsmen and, and uh, skilled workers of all types. And you adorn that picture of yourself with these different outfits. Uh, and then you become, let's say, uh, uh, a plumber astronaut because you can put on more than one outfit. Yeah. Um, and then that, to, that picture is then sent to mom or dad via email uh, to create conversations about what this little guy wants to be when they grow up. Um, so that, that really is at the heart of all of our interventions, trying to get kids to figure out a story they can tell about their future selves. So as, as you and I know, and the listeners know, we're all strangers to our future selves. Um, what and, does that mean, Shane? What does that mean? Well, you know, we, we don't really have a... Speak for yourself, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm present, joking. present company excluded. I got it. I'm joking. Um, I'm joking. But you know, we, we, don't, uh, we don't know really 
where we're going to end up in a year or five years. We, we can tell a story about it, right. um, but we don't know what circumstances of life will come about. So just like the way you landed the current job you're in, I mean, you couldn't have predicted how that would unfold in your life. You knew good things would happen, but you couldn't predict exactly where you'd be. Right. Um, kids, kids just have this, this, and I learned this from one of your, your writings as well. We all have this capacity for daydreaming. Um, and what we try to do is aim that capacity for daydreaming at the future and get kids thinking about what they want to be in the future. So long story short, our, our five session programs that we do with kids, first we get them to focus on goals that they're wildly excited about. Then we get them to come up with pathways to those goals. And then finally, we get them to come up with ways to maintain the will to get to those pathways. So it's it's very direct programming, but we've been able to demonstrate in both in elementary, middle and high school um, that the program is effective. And in addition to that, another another um, hope researcher out of Rick's lab um, created a 90 minute hope intervention for college freshmen. Uh, that's very similar to the work we've done in schools. Uh, and he, too, was able to demonstrate uh, his name is David Feldman. He too was able to demonstrate that we're we're able to boost hope in these brief brief interventions. Now, when you say effective, what what are your dependent measures? Yeah, yeah, we're we're most interested in in um, hope increases. So we're actually doing tests, retests with um, gotcha. uh, post pretest, post tests with uh, with Rick's hope measures, but we also look at. Um, um, satisfaction with life and other well-being measures. So the work we've done with students in Portugal uh, showed that we were able to increase hope, but we were also able to increase uh, satisfaction with life and overall well-being. Oh, well, these are pretty important things. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and again, these are fairly brief interventions. So David Feldman's is 90 minutes and, and our interventions typically run about um, five 40-minute sessions, so 200 minutes. Um, so these are fairly brief interventions. And and to date, we've been able to demonstrate that the changes are pretty stable. So if we come back six weeks or six months later, we still have um, that that hope boost has been maintained. That's great. And uh, I know that you're also on the advisory board of the Future Project. Yeah. It seems so well aligned with your uh, mission. Well, they're doing just fantastic work. I mean, just imagine if, if, uh, if we all had the benefit of, of having um, that kind of coaching uh, in our lives, if someone was able to, to um, kind of help us figure out what our futures were going to be and then rally us every day and keep us moving towards those coveted futures. Gosh, I mean, they could change high school in America. And, and that's, I'm betting on them to do that because we really need a big, a big wow factor, something, something new and different in, in our high schools today. What, what happens in, in schools in America, Scott, and this is from the work I do at Gallup um, on the Gallup student poll, is that kids get decreasingly engaged in school starting in about the sixth grade. So you're most engaged in school in the fifth grade. And then starting in the sixth grade and then seventh, eighth and so on, you become less and less engaged. Yeah. So by the time you hit high school, um, a significant 
proportion, around 50% of students are not engaged in school. Um, So tragedy. Oh my gosh, it it certainly is. And, and we need some kind of disruption to, to, um, to help students become more engaged and, and, and pursue those dreams that, that may have gone dormant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like, that's an interesting idea. The dreams have gone dormant. Um, what, what, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> well, you know, I worked, my wife had a, a literally, 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 what does that mean? Yeah. 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 Um, well, my wife had a not-for-profit in Omaha for a while where, um, she was having students, uh, write stories about their futures, um, and then helping them, um, basically with, with learning how to write. But, but we had, I think it was 46 students in this program at one time. And um, what was interesting is we asked them to write a story about, you know, their expectations for the future. And, and there were, it was a different prompt, something much more engaging than that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of students just stared back at us kind of doe-eyed. Um, they, they really didn't um, understand what they were supposed to be thinking about. They, their, their capacity to think about the future hadn't been used in so long that that the skill the the ability to to do that um was was just not there um so i i think we have a lot of high schoolers walking around who are who have this wide open future um and really don't know how to describe it really don't know how to um how to pitch it how how to pursue it yeah i love that a lot of peas (laughs) <laughs> come up with a new p model <laughs> uh, okay so what what is feature casting did you coin that term uh maybe i don't know it's I, possible I to, it's possible you do. Uh, it's possible i hate to say i i coined something when when uh there might be someone out there who who used it first Dude, you need more chutzpah than that <laughs> own it own it i've never heard anyone else use it before <laughs> until until i hear someone else own it i'm i'm, I'm that's shane lopez yeah future yeah. casting is is yeah. just is just what we do every day yeah. um you know in our in our thinking about the future so it's not full-on hope but it's 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 kind of uh it's kind of what babe ruth did when he pointed toward the uh oh, yeah. the the right field fence and said I, i'm gonna hit this out on you you know it's oh. making big bold predictions about your future it's really um putting yourself out there having some chutzpah as you said and and saying you know this is what i want my future to look like um and then when you announce it to the world what's interesting is is you get other people excited about it yeah Uh, or you get your parents not excited about it but (laughs) (laughs) do you do you have a story that relates to that no i mean no but i can just imagine situations where you lay out there what you want to be and that's not exactly what your parents envisioned for you yeah oh i would bet that's true i i talked to a guy last night whose daughter 10 year old daughter wants to be a fashion designer there you go um and he's uh somewhat reserved about the whole notion but uh is supporting her nonetheless. I mean, he he sits up with her and watches uh, Project Runway with her. So uh, he's supporting supporting her dream. Oh, it's probably his favorite TV show as well. <laughs> <laughs> he probably loves it. <laughs> oh man! So yeah. So this future. So how can we like? How can we have structures in an education system that is facilitates future casting? Like, can we have like a 
a future casting recess where everyone goes around and like talks about like makes a bold declaration? You know, we we did that in um, uh, a school system in Omaha, Nebraska. So Omaha is a hotbed of of hope stuff because Gallup is is uh, located there. Um, Nebraska is a hotbed of hope. I'm quoting you on that. It is. It is. Um, So um, so a whole school district decided to have um, a future casting day where they they did exactly what you said. They they walked around and they they spent time think daydreaming about the future. So, and, and writing down what they wanted from their own, for their own lives, but also for other people's lives. Um, and what, what people realize is that we just don't spend enough time thinking about the future in a complex way, uh, that we just let those, those flirty thoughts just, just pass us by and, and we don't spend enough time engaging in our thoughts about the future. So, so, I liken this to, to meditation. So when, when you're thinking about the present, you should be perfectly in the present and you should meditate on the now and, and be as centered and, and present as you can be. But when you're thinking about the future, you should be perfectly in the future. You should be thinking about the future in a way that really is rewarding to you and, and helps you um, paint a picture of, of where you want to be in a, in a week or month, a year. Um, and, and meditate on the future in such a way that uh, it has some benefits for you. I, so I, I would definitely agree with that. And I try to think of um, rec- how your work is reconciled um, or compatible with uh, Gabrielle Odenson's work. Oh, sure. On, um, you know, I, I think that it's an unfortunate choice of words she uses to describe daydreaming. She calls it indulging. Right. Uh, because I don't think, you know, every daydream has to have reality. I think mm-hmm. some of it in and of itself can be beneficial, mm-hmm. um, not as always the means to an end. But that aside, um, I think that a big point of her uh, her excellent research is that you know we can sometimes get lost in our daydreams or get trapped and um, and 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 forget that we actually need to put in some hard work to make this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. So if I'm correct, your conceptualization of hope explicitly addresses that point and says it's well, hope's not this sort of um, just blind optimism for the future, which is how actually some of the psychological literature describes it. But right. It is it actively there's an active component to it. Is that correct? there's an there's an active component to it, and the most hopeful people we find are the most realistic people. Um, well, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're actually wow. testing out the future in a way that that makes them um, less indulgent. So they're actually able to say, well, this pathway won't work. I mean, that's kind of out of out of bounds. This pathway won't work because I don't have those skills. This pathway will work because that's in my wheelhouse. Um, So hopeful people are in the way we conceptualize hope are actually more realistic folks um, than less hopeful people. Now, this whole notion, though, of, of in, indulging makes me think of wishing. Um, and and that, you know, it, it does drive me bananas when people confuse hoping with wishing. Um, and uh, wishing is, is just so dangerous. I mean, when the whole... you wish upon <laughs> a star, doesn't matter who you are. Exactly. So, so you're actually hating on that song right now? 
uh, I'm hating on that song and I'm hating on the law of attraction and the secrets wow. and wow. and all of these uh, mess with Disney. Oh, all of these disruptive forces that have captivated people and 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 made people think that uh, if you wish hard enough, your life will improve. And dreams come true. <laughs> I had to complete it or else my audience would go crazy if I didn't. Exactly. I could just feel the tension. Yeah. I just think wishing is quite destructive, and and uh, we we could talk about that on a whole whole other show. But uh, um, hope hope is more active; it, it has much more potential. Yeah, so that's really these are really good, meaningful distinctions that we're making here today. This is this is like my podcast at its best, in my opinion, is when my guests and I can you know cannot not just have forty five minutes of trite observations, but can actually. Uh, make some useful distinctions for the audience. So, um, yeah, thank you. You bet. Um, so I, I did say that we were going to talk about the school structure, but then, but then beyond. So yeah. let's just spend the next couple minutes, uh, the last couple minutes of our interview, just talking about beyond. There's there's obviously a world beyond high school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, college admissions. What can we do to change college admissions? How could you incorporate hope into the college admissions process? And then ultimately, as a full fledged card carrying adult. You know, how can you um, like make a decisive decision like that you're going to be more hopeful in your daily life? So both those things, if you could address them. Yeah, and and I'll go with the both and with college admissions. I okay. You know, I, I'm not ready to to say we we shouldn't use the ACT and the SAT. Right. Um. You know, and of course. Well, thankfully, you don't have to make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there are there are universities that have abandoned both. Um, yeah. So, um, but I, I'm not ready to say we should abandon both. I, I think that gives us some information about students, but um, I, I would love to see a couple of uh, universities or, or small colleges try measuring hope alongside the ACT and SAT yeah. um, to determine um, uh, selection. But what I do know is, is in the longitudinal studies we've done, and, and we have one paper out right now that we're trying to get published in the longitudinal studies we've done, we've demonstrated that um, that hope definitely explains a good bit of the variance in in students completing college on time. Uh, so when it comes to to completing college in in a four year stint, um, hope is definitely your ally. Uh, so uh, I would I would encourage colleges to to measure hope. I would encourage colleges to. Uh, implement uh, David Feldman's 90-minute hope intervention in their freshman uh, orientation classes uh, to boost hope. Um, and then when it comes to being an adult, gosh, um, I, I can't think of where I'd be without hope in my life, you know. So on, on a personal level, um, you know, I, I was I was born poor and smart, and, and somehow I got a whole lot of hope, and, and that's what's carried me uh, forward in my life. I mean, the intelligence has done some things for me, but but really, it's been it's been the hope that pulls people to me, um, and those people then inspire more hope in me, uh, and then I'm able to do things that I never thought possible as a young kid. Absolutely, I developed a lot of hope along the way with inspiring teachers, and mm-hmm. I and I really fundamentally believe that intelligence is malleable. Mm-hmm. That, that and that my hope um, and grit is what what helped me develop whatever intelligence I have today. Wow! So um, yeah, so I obviously I have a huge ode ode to hope as well. 
Mm. You know? mm. um, so I think that's just a great, great uh, place to end this interview. Was there anything else you wanted to add about the current work that you're, you're doing right now? Or do you want to talk about anything else? Well, right now I'm studying people who uh, love their jobs. Um, and I find that uh, those two are some of the most hopeful people that I've ever met. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll talk more about hope and people who love their jobs next time. Oh, that sounds great. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Shane. Really appreciate your time. All right, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as informative and thought-provoking as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can go to thepsychologypodcast.com. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungle's closing in? You crave wide-open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, Land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to Land.com, find your open space, and get out there. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.